As Eckhart Tolle said, boredom, anger, sadness, or fear are not yours, not personal. They are conditions of the human mind. They come and go. Nothing that comes and goes is you. Join Sue Jackson every Tuesday at 10 a.m. for Finding Human, a look at the wonder that is the human mind, right here on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and my guests today are Melanie Maloon and my daughter-in-law, Leanne Jackson. And Leanne says people are going to wonder why I keep inviting her. But uh, but quite honestly, the reason why I do is because she has introduced me to all these amazing programs that are being run. And uh, I just really just feel that she's showing me these meaningful uh, projects and I want to bring them to everyone's attention because we need help from our entire community and anyone else. Um, Denise Golden was going to be on this program today, but she was unable to join us as she's not well. But we are thinking of you, Denise, and please be very gentle on yourself. And this program is actually dedicated to Denise's beloved son, Brett Golden, who was tragically murdered in Cape Town in 2006. Brett would have turned 41 last week. And so this program is dedicated to a life lost very young and by all accounts and by everyone who knew him, an incredible person. Denise has spent years reaching out to others, and she will join me at another time, but not right now. You know, this week with the uh, Pittsburgh synagogue attack, um, I think it's very appropriate that uh, I mention that words have power, and they can either heal or harm. And we in the media, in any field, need to be very, very aware of that. And it, as the uh, as Jews and as caring humans, we certainly stand beside the people of uh, Pittsburgh, the Jews of Pittsburgh, and we stand united with them. And today on CNN, there was an amazing program which showed me also how incredible words are and how they do heal. There was a, a, a Muslim cleric being... Um, uh, interviewed and he was saying that he's in Pittsburgh and they have offered to actually stand guard at the synagogues and they've also offered to go shopping with any, any Jews who might be afraid at the moment. They've offered to go shopping with them and it was really quite amazing. And then, uh, I also heard about his, he spoke about the Prophet Muhammad and how his students were sitting listening to him when a funeral procession of Jews went past. And as this procession went past, uh, the Prophet stood up and his students asked him why he stood up when it wasn't one of theirs. And he said, because it is a fellow human soul and out of respect we do so. And I think that is something we can all aspire to, to actually recognize a human soul in each, uh, in each other and help heal the world. Right. Suffering certainly does not choose color, gender, age, religion or culture. And Plato said that everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Now, today we are going to be discussing uh, a squatter camp, predominantly a white uh, area of, of a squatter camp, um, that 
uh, Melanie and Leanne heard about and have been helping Denise um, with it. And Mel, perhaps you can tell us what, well, first of all, actually, I wanted to say to the two of you that Denise said I must mention that the two of you have brought unbelievable energy into this project, and so has Annaline Creel, and she just thanks you all for all the work that you're actually now doing. So tell me, how did you get involved with Denise, Melanie? Um, Leanne and I met um, last year, and through a project that we both did, we both decided that we wanted to look for a white squatter camp and give back to them. Because it had been brought to your attention. Exactly. And we searched and we searched and we came up on Denise's Facebook and we thought, well, this is the place that we want to go and help. Up to then, uh, you had never heard about a segregated squatter camp, had you? It was mixed squatter camps mostly. And Leanne, at the time you were doing Santa boxes for for, uh, you and Melanie last year? Yes. So, yeah, last year, that's where Melanie and I started this work together, where due to a tragedy of a friend who lost her child, we wanted to give back and elevate, and we did a whole project with them. the Santa boxes inside a school in Soweto, where we did our own boxes. We then went in to assist another organization where we gave about 1,800 boxes. Uh, we did a whole day. We took our kids in, and, I mean, it, it was amazing. And then, it, yes, that's when it was brought to our attention about uh, white squatter camps, which I must be honest, I'd never heard of before. And when we looked into it, you know, we thought it was a great idea. And even a year ago, we said that that is our aim to do uh, for this December. And that's how we got to that. Okay. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think my son was Santa Hanukkah. He was. Last year. (laughs) (laughs) He was at the party in Soweto. Good sport, dressed up as Santa. And it was amazing. There was a whole party for these children. And, you know, and I think through the year, if we look at what Mel and I have done, we have. We've done so many different things, you know. And it started off with a Santa. And I think for me, because Mel had been doing it before me, is once I got a taste of what it was like to give and what it did, how it elevated my soul and what it did personally for me, we just couldn't stop. You know, we went on to do uh, a lot of things with the Sandringham Gardens, with um, Elfin Lodge, giving out to the Jewish people. We then, I know we did a show on Mandela Day, what we did for the Recycle Guys. And I think each one has got a different meaning. And, you know, there's, there's, so, there's so many people out there that are needing help. And the more we can do, the better. And, uh, this is and I think one. what's really important to stress here is that what you are doing, you've, you've now started another uh, Facebook, I think, called Dignity. Is yes, that right? Yeah. And it shows all the different projects yeah. that you are involved in. Because people hearing white squatters might be thinking, well, you know, what about other squatters? But I think I need to actually bring to your attention, to everyone's attention, that actually you have reached out to everybody in the broader spectrum of South Africa and our rainbow nation through this year, doing amazing work. You know, uh, um, Rabbi uh, Jonathan Sachs said that nothing more marks Judaism as a religion of love than its emphasis on tzedakah. And he says we do not accept poverty, hunger, homelessness or disease as God's will. On on the contrary, God's will is that we heal these fractures in his world. 
And he says, we become good by doing good. And would you say that this is what you feel when you said that it's meaning so much to your soul? Absolutely. I mean, I always quote the saying is that, you know, to give a beggar, even on the side of the road, just to give a sandwich. I mean, for them, it's absolute gold. I mean, it can change their lives. But what it does for you far outweighs what it actually does for them. And as I say, last December, I got a taste of that, and uh, we just can't stop. We're always mm. on the go trying to think of what next to do. Mm. I mean, it's I always wonderful. say to Mel, in fact, when as these things finish, I actually hit a, I hit a downer. Definitely. I do. I actually get, my husband also says that. I do. I actually, I do. It, it, it really is, it's, it's an amazing thing what it actually does for you. Together. We're going to be listening to a YouTube by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs on the dignity of difference. I started asking myself, anti-Semitism, the world's oldest hatred, how come so many different people at different ages hated Jews? And I suddenly realized the answer is there in the Bible, the world's first great anti-Semite, Haman, Haman in the book of Esther, who says there is one people scattered throughout all the people's whose laws and customs are different from everyone else's. And then I suddenly realized that is anti-Semitism, dislike of the unlike, a fear of people who are different from us. And then I suddenly realized that's what Jews were. They were different. Ah, you say, everyone is different. Well, they are. It's just the Jews insisted on the right to be different the duty to be different. So they became, in history, the only nation not to assimilate to the dominant culture or convert to the dominant faith. They stayed different. And now we ask, why did God choose us for this fate? And the short answer is, God took one nation and said, be different, in order to teach the world the dignity of difference. God does not want us all to be the same. He loves the multiplicity of languages, cultures, colors, creeds. That's where God is to be found. The miracle of monotheism is that unity up there creates diversity down here. And we, who took it as the historic challenge to be different, the people chosen to bring that truth to all humankind. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guests today are Melanie Maloon and Leanne Jackson, and our topic is actually Everyone Smiles in the Same Language. And that was a quote that Zanati actually read on our news program one day, and I wrote it down. I loved it. If you would like to WhatsApp us, please do so on 061-895-1019, or you can SMS us on 34519. Now, what Rabbi Sachs said there is so true, the multiplicity of cultures and creeds. And I think this is what you've come across. And when I was looking up about uh, Munsieville's uh, white squatters, there was a, somebody had said, as this came from um, Yaakov, uh, we are beggars and poor, but we are still human. 
And I think this is what so often if we see someone who looks a bit down and out, we, we don't actually think of them as human. So, Melanie, I'm going to go and ask you now about Denise and how she met Hansi, who introduced her to Mansibo. Hansi um, is a, a very humble gentleman who fixes gates uh, and security systems. And Denise's family had been using him for numerous years. And Denise's gate broke last year, and she called Hansi out. And in conversation with him, she didn't know his history or anything. She said to him, are you going away for the holidays? And he said, no. He said, unfortunately, he doesn't have the means to go on holiday. And she asked him about what he does and where his family's from, and that's where it came about, that his family live in Manciville White Squatter Camp. And is he the breadwinner of the, the family or what? Hansi. Yes. Um, Hansi's uncle, Jan, who lives with his wife, Santi, um, he works for Hansi. Jan works for Hansi. And Hansi is, if you can call it, the, the breadwinner. And he looks after his uncle and Santi. Gosh, I see that, you know, uh, when I was reading about this, it said that there are more than 12 million people uh, are, who are actually um, below the poverty line in South Africa who live in extreme poverty. And 3 million of those are children, and we're a country with a total population of over 49 million. And um, that, that in Munsieville, altogether 313 people of this particular area of different racial backgrounds live in the squatter camp. And this includes 92 children and 22 elderly persons. Now, I know the two of you went in there uh, last week to, to actually go and uh, meet uh, people there. And tell me about that, Leanne. Okay, so well, just to go back to Hansi, because I think he is our main contact, firstly, of getting in there. So what he's been doing with Denise is Denise, after finding out about Hansi's family, started posting and on Facebook um, how desperate um, this white squatter camp is and how they are in need of food. They've got absolutely nothing. They don't get assistance from anyone. And I think Denise had an overwhelming response. I mean, every week she's get, people are dropping off food parcels, dog food, clothes, and Hansi is the one that drives all over every day, collecting stuff from Denise, taking it into the squatter camp where everything's shared equally. And he, he's an amazing man in doing what he does. Uh, he doesn't have money himself. Um, he battles himself with his family. But this is what he does um, every single day. And he is the go-between. He's the one that we contact and he was the one that we asked, um, you know, in doing what we're doing, we would like to go in and actually see the squatter camp and meet some of the people. Um, you know, pictures, you hear about it, but I don't think anything prepares you for when you're actually standing there and you actually, you get to see how these people live. It, it was, it, it, it was a hell of a shock. It's um, not a pretty sight at all. Where did um, they come from initially? Where were they? So these, the, I mean, the, the specifically the, the squatters that we're dealing with, which, yes, majority are white Afrikaners, and there were some other families that came with them, they all used to live in a place called Coronation Park, also out in Krugerstorp Way, which was a caravan site. And they lived there, I think, I don't know, it was eight years, somewhere around there. Four years ago, um, the government decided they want to do 
take over this caravan park because it now had become a squatter camp and they wanted to put millions in to rejuvenate it and make it into this beautiful park uh, for the public, which unfortunately, as far as I'm aware, still to this date hasn't been done. So these squatters um, in coronation were forced to leave and they were told that this was an option to go to was Munsieville, uh, which originally was actually a rubbish dump. Um, and it's, I mean, it's very, I mean, all you see is the remains of a rubbish dump. In When you say the rubbish dump, this is where they were moved to, because as yes. far as I, I know, the, a lot of Munsieville is actually quite a nice Area. Well, it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's quite a big area and you've got a lot of RDP houses. Um, then there was already an existing township, uh, which was, I mean, when I say pretty decent, you know, the roads were smooth like any township would be. Uh, right next to that where the, um, the Coronation Park people were moved, which is Munsieville, is right on the rubbish dump. Uh-huh. So there is, there is a, there is quite a difference between where they stay and compared to where the people next to them are staying. Um, there is, I mean, I think there's a, one, of the, one little tree, there's no plants, one there's tree. no tree. It's just orange sand of rocks, stone, rubble, and, and rubbish. And what happens when it rains, Mel? Obviously, because they live there, let me explain how they actually live. So, um, they live in corrugated shanty houses. No floorboards, red sand, which is covered by carpet. No windows, just a door. Some have roofs, some don't have roofs. So when it rains, it leaks. In the winter, it's freezing. So it's it's desperate there. There are desperate people that live very sadly. And for us, when we went, it was heart-wrenching for us to see families living like this with nothing. And you mentioned to me earlier on about how many um, taps there were and, and toilets. Well, we'd, I'd like to discuss that shortly. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guests today are Melanie Maloon and Leanne Jackson, and we are talking about the squatter camp of Munsieville. And if you would like to WhatsApp us, you can on 061-895-1019. What I have been moved by is the human story behind these squatters. And Melanie and Leanne will tell us a bit of that, but... Uh, just go back to the how many toilets there are. How you know the the hygiene in in this particular squatter camp is there any? No. Um, there's what there's one toilet between four families or four shacks houses. A pit toilet. Um, yeah, where um, they come once a week. When we were there on Friday, funny enough, the tank came. The stench was horrendous. Um, and that's what they use. There's taps between exactly the same, uh, one tap between four houses, um, running water, and that's what they use to obviously bath with. No, no electricity. Um, they do use gas, which is expensive, um, and they do use primer stoves. Um, which are dangerous, especially very. in those conditions. And, and because it's Firstly, in such a closed um, area, the smell 
for the children is bad and for them, but they have nothing else. Mm. Um, some people use electricity by taking, um, it's like a prong, which they put through a wire, well, they prong it to the wire on their neighbor, and um, that's how they, they have to pay for it, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how they use electricity. Wow, that is so dangerous as well. Yeah, there are very few of them that can afford that. I can imagine. Uh, there are very few that do that, and the rest, it's candles. So in meeting these people, do you did you feel that they had given up on life, or did you feel that some of the, the ones that you've met... Um, are they are they wanting work? What uh, what what is their actual view of of their lives at the moment? So yes, yeah, so we we did meet a few. A lot of them were mothers with children, which was amazing to see the love and the care that they give to these children. Uh, they you know we didn't get to meet everyone, but the one thing that we got from these people is a will to live, and how you know if a lot of them say if it wasn't for Denise or for Hansi. They, would, they wouldn't actually be alive because the truth is that is what they rely on. They rely on donations. They rely on this from people. Um, Had they worked before? So most of them actually, they all, they all came from jobs. A lot of them were in the mining, worked in factories. Fortunately, when BE came around, uh, they lost their jobs. Uh, a lot of them, what they say is they still, it's not like they give up. They try and get jobs, but because the minute they give to people or tell them where they live, they turn down automatically. Uh, they don't look uh, the part, mm. um, and especially on their CV just hearing. So so for a lot of them, they, they can't. So a lot of mm. them have turned to begging. Uh, a lot of them have tried, and they're still trying to get jobs. And so, yes, yeah, so the people that we met, they it, it, it was actually amazing because they were still happy. They were still positive, and I think the the highlight for both Mel and I was there, there's one man that I really have to speak about. And when we got the history of this camp, it was already it was already baffling me that there are a lot of them have got dogs, uh, but there was one man who has got 25 dogs, and um, kept thinking there has to be a story there because in a place where you can't even feed yourself. Why would someone want to look after dogs and have that responsibility? And you are a dog lover. Yes, absolutely. So when we went in, that was that was the first person we really wanted to go speak to, and uh, we call him Kurs. Was uh, he's sixty three years old, skin and bone, but the most unbelievable man. He showed us his dogs, and I just I said to him, you know, Kurs, I mean you. You, you battle to survive and look after yourself to feed yourself. So why, why would you want to keep all these dogs? And his story just it finished me off. And he was, when he was 21 years old, or he said as a child he always loved dogs, but at 21 he was in the army, and he was then sent to Angola to fight. And when they were now, um, him and his, uh, they, were, they were basically walking towards the enemy, from nowhere a dog jumped out and actually started biting, but badly his leg. I mean, he said it, it, it was horrific. He actually wanted to turn around and shoot the dog. And only then did he actually realize the dog was saving his life. They were about to walk over a mind, uh, mm. a landfall. So he said from that day on, a dog saved his life, and he decided to dedicate his life to dogs. Mm. And for him, his dogs are everything. So it's not he started off with uh, getting these dogs. So a lot of people in the townships and surround would buy puppies, and they loved them. But as they got older, they got tired of them, and... And also it's an expense to keep them. So he took on these dogs and, and he explained. So what he does every morning is a quarter to five, he's up. He's now on the main streets of Kruger store where he has to catch a taxi, which costs him 10 rand. 
He stands on those streets begging for money and he won't leave until he collects 20 rand. Straight away he gets 20 rand, he goes to the butcher and he buys chicken heads for these dogs. And he, he feeds them. Chicken feet. Heads. heads. Chicken oh. heads. I mean, we actually researched it because yes. you cannot believe the nutrients. And you can see it because, yes, the dogs are thin, but beautiful coats, white, stronger teeth than I've ever seen dogs with. <laughs> the happiest, beautiful, beautiful dogs. Like he said, you know, it's hard. So when the donations come in from Denise and we get dog food, wonderful. He's only too happy. Not only does he look after his 25 dogs, but, I mean, there are over 100 dogs in this camp. And all the other people, they know he will never turn a dog away. He will do whatever he can to make sure every dog gets fed. Mm. He will go two days without food. Mm. And you can see it. It doesn't bother him. For him, because because of what happened to him, that is what he's here to do. I mean, we were happy to say we'll, we'll take some of the dogs and find them homes. I, I mean, he absolutely loves these dogs. He will never give them up. You know, he's got like two tin shanty um Sort of homes. One doesn't even have a roof. One little Zozo hut. The dogs have taken over his bed. I mean, he sleeps on the floor. Uh, he's got a few little bowls. Uh, there's no blankets for these dogs. You know, a lot of them you can see are scratching. Like he said, you know, as much money as he can collect, he goes into town. He gets the medicine he needs, but it's not enough because uh-huh. he is a beggar. That's how he mm. makes his money. And look at that. I mean, the self-sacrifice in that. Oh, no, and then, this man was amazing. It really was yeah. amazing. Do you know that Amelia Earhart uh, said this quote, a single act of kindness throws out roots in all directions and the roots spring up and make new trees. The greatest work that kindness does to others is that it makes them kind themselves. So what you're explaining to me are people who have found meaning within their poverty of reaching out, whether it's to an animal or to each other or to the children. Uh, It's quite amazing that, you know, you still have that energy when you yourself are starving. Well, there is a woman, um, I call her the tuck shop lady, where every morning she feeds Every child in that camp. And where does she get the money to do that, Mel? She gets donation from a, a church or a ministry, and they make sure that these children are given wheat picks, uh, a hot porridge every single morning. She makes sure that they are fed, and then in the afternoon they get sandwiches from tuna, chicken, egg every afternoon. And she is the most wonderful woman. So she gets donations, and out of those donations, she's able to do this. She looks after the kids. That's amazing. If you'd like to SMS <coughs> us, you can on 34519 or WhatsApp us on 61 Now, Leanne, I know that uh, you spoke to a lady uh, from one of the churches what what work was she doing? So that is the lady that Mel is speaking about. Um, she is from it's it's a minister it's a ministry that are it's a non profit organisation. Their job, and I think it has been for the last eleven years, is specifically to look after the Munseyville children. So, well, actually, all the kids that originally came from Coronation Park, she was always she was a school teacher and always had a passion for children and. Must have been 11 years ago, somewhere around there, reading an article on what was happening with the Coronation Park. She took it as a duty to these children to basically look after them. And with the ministry, 
their specific purpose is to provide for these children. Um, they are innocent in whatever's happened to them, and for her, it's very, very important. So they, that, what, what they have done is amazing. So from the food that gets dealt out at this tuck shop, they make sure Monday to Friday, every lunch before, I mean, every breakfast before school, as they get home from school. They help them, they supply all their school stationery as much as possible. School bags, school uniforms, mm. school fees, doctors, medical, whatever is needed for this child to survive, they have got, they've got sponsors. I know she was saying when I spoke to her, this has been a tough year because obviously people are finding it harder. Um, so, Every year they've never, ever had a problem. There are certain things they are short of for this year. Um, but I, I must be honest, as much as I love the dogs, which that really thrilled me that someone's looking after them, again, with children, you know, just to make sure that these kids get fed, they are looked after, was, all, was also, it was really, really comforting. And for me, this woman is absolutely amazing how they've dedicated their lives. She, and they're um, innocent victims in, totally. in this system that started years and years and years and years ago. Yeah. So she knows every family, every child. She takes care of them. If there's any doctors, medical, whatever they are needing as far as the children, they make sure they get it. You know, she was saying it's just like her saddest thing this year. Um, and you know, you think about what she gives to these children. Her saddest thing is that every December, for her, she has to take these children out on an outing, you know, whether it's to some park or she was trying to go to the Lion and Rhino Park just to spoil them for one day. And she was saying, unfortunately, this year they don't have the funds. And she's been phoning around because she really has to do something for these children. So, you know, it, like it's never enough what she gives. I mean, mm -hmm. it's unbelievable. She was sending me their spreadsheets and what everything's documented. It's it really is amazing to so it's find. It's very controlled. Very controlled. Mm -hmm. I know you can ask for the books. You can ask for everything. And this is what she did. They dedicate their lives to. And they have the monthly donors, and it costs them. I mean, just I think the food alone costs them 20,000 rand a month just to feed these children mm -hmm. breakfast and lunch. And that's excluding anything else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so really amazing, amazing people who have dedicated their lives to giving and to looking after. And I'm sure that there's also they haven't divided it up into races. That Not at all. Not mm -hmm. at all. As she said, you know, these are people that originally came from coronation. And then, of course, there are families that have heard about it and they take on, so people in the RD, they've taken on a lot of children. They will never turn them away. Mm. So there's mm. a lot more than just these children that they look after. That's absolutely They deal amazing. with the schools. It's amazing. Mm. Absolutely amazing. And... Um, Mel, I just wanted to go back to, to Hansi. There was, was there someone else that you actually mentioned. Oh, it was the, Denise said that there was a man that actually offered to put a child through school and Correct. then university. Just tell us about, about that. Um, Denise sent me a message to say that there is a man in Newton Hague who would like to sponsor a young girl, uh, with her schooling career and university anyway um he happened to call me i wasn't sure if his name is clinton or quinton very very nice man he was um a, he worked for Co uh, coin security and he had a fatal accident five years ago which left him unemployed and sadly he can't work and um he phoned me to say that he wants to sponsor a child, put the child through school, through university, and make sure that this child can better itself. 
That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Brilliant, brilliant. So are you starting a fund uh, for that, or how is it going to be worked? Um, At this stage, we're still finding the child. Uh, Once we find the child um, through, actually, Leanne and I on Friday when we went through to Muncieville, we thought we would go and see where these children go to school. So we actually went to um, the prep school there and met the most wonderful principal um, who all the Muncieville children go to that school. And we were chatting and she was telling us how the children walk to school every day and how they do come to school every day. And in conversation with her, I did say to her, I'm looking for a specific child. And she said to me, there were five kids who can go further than where they are at the moment. And she would come back to me. So once she comes back to me, we can then open up an account. Well, firstly, we'd put the money in the school till the child finishes school. And then we'd have an account for tertiary. Correct. That's amazing because, you know what, they can change the world with their education. Uh, you know, they, they can reach out then and hopefully reach back into all different communities. You know, one of the, I was reading up uh, on uh, Muncieville and um, it said that um, uh, this, with this one man, um, Jacob said, we got to be beggars. My wife and I do not drink at all and we do not use drugs. What we do with the money is we buy food. We also ask people to please just appreciate us, even if we are poor. Once again, this man, this, a different man said, we are also just human. And I think this is a human story and this is what we've got to recognize. And he and his wife live in a two bedroom shack with his children and grandchildren. And, uh, he said, you know, he's, he's trying to fix the, the shack. This was written in winter so that it would be a bit warmer. And then another man said uh, that he has no care in the world what people's thoughts are of them living in a squatter camp. He said, we do have our struggles and we are hungry, but the only thing I worry about is the children and the older people. I don't worry about myself as I can care for myself, but it's the children that I really worry about. And then he said, white and black people live in harmony in this township after living uh, at Coronation Park. We are now here. And uh, and he said, and we're, we're happy to all look after each other. And I, I think that's absolutely a, a amazing because he also goes on to say, you, you must feed a child and you must feed the old people because they can't feed themselves. Mm. And that's what they do, I think, when donations and that come in. They do look after the children and the elderly people, and they, they do it accordingly, which is amazing. Absolutely amazing. There's a question here that's come through. Is there any alcoholic problems in these camps? And that comes from um, uh, Michelle Pretorius. Thank you. So, mm? so, you know, I think it's like any, I mean, any community, you're going to have one or two bad eggs, I have no doubt. Um We've actually, with the list that we've got, we've actually got information on there are certain people. If parents are like that, they are actually removed. Kids are removed. So they're very much looked after. Okay. The people we've dealt with and seen are clean and 100% don't. Good. Okay. So the children are taken care of. Yes. And then there's another question. Hi there, Sue. Is Romy uh, Maloon, Mel's daughter? I just have to say... 
How proud I am of both my mother and Lee. They work until all hours of the morning and they work really hard. I am so proud of them. That's, that. that's so <laughs> sweet. <laughs> Who was that from, Mel? My daughter. Uh, that's so, please. And the, oh, please, <coughs> can you pass the message on for me? Thank you so much. What's your daughter's name? Romy. Uh, Rome, uh, that's <laughs> Rome. Thank you so much, Romy. Yes, so uh, just, just to say, was, sorry, 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 I, I misread to, that question. Uh, so just to say, so yes, you'll always have the bad eggs, and they are, we have been warned one or two people, but in general, what I've noticed is with the people that have got children, that is their priority, and that, and they remain clean. And there are stories where people used to drink and do drugs and how they've changed that around now. And so those people are always watched and taken care of, and so they try they keep it as clean as they possibly can. And you will have that in any yeah, group of people, never mind a squatter exactly. camp, but in well, any in our roads, in, yes, in, in any our, neighborhood, anywhere, in, in anywhere. And I think it's the children yeah. that always do need the, the support and protection. Um, tell me about the school. You you went into the, uh, a school in the area? Yes. So Mel was saying, I mean, the school was amazing. I mean, it's actually a primary school where the majority of the Munsterville kids go, as well as I think all of the children or most of the children are from the area, so from the other squatter camps, from the RDP housing. Um, it's called Lars School Ebenhauser, and that principal, as Mel said, just blew us away. One of the most caring, gentle people I've ever come across. And again, she knows each child, each family. Um, she was telling us, because yes, they all walk to school. Um, they basically walk five kilometers every day. Some of these young kids, there's a grade one who mm. walks by himself. I mean, five Ks takes you a good hour and maybe good even heavens. longer for them. They're young. Um, in that heat. So we were there on Friday thinking, walking in that heat. So they walk five kilometers each way. She said a lot of these kids come there and she said, you know, that obviously because they don't have baths and showers, they're dirty. She says so she has got people that as a lot of these kids arrive, she takes them off to the bathroom. She's got all towels, toiletries. She makes sure they have showers. She has always spare clothes lying around for them that she will take their dirty clothes off. She takes them home to wash them herself. Mm. And she she is an amazing woman who, again, all her care is for these children. Most of them can't afford school fees. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and my guests today are Melanie Maloon and Leanne Jackson, and we are talking about the Munsieville Squatter Camp and the work that's been done there, and and how. Many people within the camp itself are actually reaching out to each other, looking after the children, looking after the elderly, looking after the dogs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's actually a good story. And I see a message has come through from Martin. We are all God's children. Very sad when some hit hard times. Thank you, Martin. And I think what you say there is so true. We never do know when fortunes will change and what might happen. And I do believe that um, even when we had that program a few weeks ago on Skiam Sam, it's actually to look at people with compassionate eyes, look at them, 
recognize them as fellow human beings, that we're all on this journey together. And some of us might have more than others, but we are there to, to actually walk together. There's that wonderful um, saying by Albert Camus, please don't walk be- beside me, I may not follow. Don't walk in, uh, be- walk beside me and be my yeah. friend. And and that is really, it, it's very true. I don't think I got the whole one, but <laughs> but that's the gist of it. You were saying about the school. So they, the, so if the children haven't had a bath or anything, they are cleaned and bathed and they wash their clothes for them. So this principal really, she, like she said, you know, the attendance of these children is amazing. For kids that come from there, they, you know, generally around about 95% attendance. These kids are dedicated. They absolutely love reading. Um, but just, you know, the interaction she had with these kids while we were there, I mean, we were sitting there going, I mean, really an amazing, amazing woman that, again, she's most of them, she doesn't even know how the school is even open because mo- most of them can't even pay 450 rand a month to register for school. But they will never, ever turn a child away. Mm. So they look after these kids. They try and get donations in. Like she was saying, I mean, I'm, I'm so sorry that we were in a rush and we couldn't spend more time. I would have loved to have walked around the school properly to see but I know, like she said, you know, they're waiting. I mean, half the roofs are collapsing. You know, they don't get funded to, to fix that. And at the end of the day, they're there to look after these kids. So they make sure they all get the uniforms and um, and to give them a bit of dignity. And uh, There was one are. thing that she actually asked you for, wasn't there, for these children? She said... Um uh, boxes, the um, oh, well, that, that was the lady. No, that was actually the lady from the uh, from shop. the church. Oh, the church. church. Who you know, with the stationery, she actually said to me, "Please, if there's anything that she would love us to arrange, it's those 33 centimeter long pencil cases with a zip that they can fit all their stationery in." Because oh. last year they didn't have the funds for it, and her and her mother went to buy material and spent weeks and weeks trying to sew them, but they did such a bad job, they were all breaking. <laughs> so she says, please, Leanne, for 70 children, if I can organize those long pencil cases, that would, it would, it would absolutely make her day, which is such a small thing. And that's what you, you know, you realize, especially now at this time of the year when we all given our kids stationery lists and we're arranging it, where, you know, without even questioning how much, whatever, we, Organizing where all she's asking for is even just a pencil case. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and through all of this, again, you know, never mind how it uplifts us. But if anything, I mean, you, we just, we have to live in gratitude every day of our lives because we don't, no one has any idea how bad it is. And no one has any idea what tomorrow might hold also. Exactly. And, um, how, if, what would you actually most like from this program? What, what would you most like people who are listening in any of our community, other communities, what, where, who can they contact if they want so to? I think offer we will. Help? We'll leave both Mel and Amar details. Um, you know, what we have been doing for the last two months is we have been organizing donations for boxes to give each child, each person, uh, the dogs, the animals, everyone inside Munsieville. And I, I must say, we have had the most unbelievable response. People have been so generous in giving. Um, so we're sitting at the moment, I mean, we've already collected clothes, abundance of clothes for the adults, for the children. We're doing boxes for them where we're collecting a lot of food, all the non-perishable stuff, toiletries, house Hustle. cleaning stuff. You know, the problem is so, yes, you know, we, we're giving them Christmas gifts. We, we, we're putting in a, hell, a, a lot of effort into 
into spoiling each and every individual. You know, the problem is when it comes to the food, like, yes, we're going to be doing big food parcels. The problem is, you know, how long is that food going to last? Mm, mm. You know, ideally in a, you know, if, if I had a dream, I would love to do something where people would be donating every month. I mean, I know we're all looking after ourselves. So, you know, the food is something that's very short-lived. Um, Can they get hold of this lady from the church? Absolutely. Who, would you like to give out, do, have you, do you, I don't have her. Can we give out, we'll give Chai FM's will, yeah. phone number and we'll give them to Chai FM. Yes, I'll give all the details to Chai FM. You also mustn't forget that the dogs also need. No, I haven't, yeah, the dogs, the dogs is definitely, yeah. as I say, you know, the children are getting looked after. Uh, we are doing this for the adults, but the dogs is something that, um, Whatever dog food we're getting in, we go, we are going to be sending to Kurs where he will look after them. But the dogs are definitely needing on an ongoing basis. Mm. And, you know, if I look at, if I just look at their sleeping conditions and living conditions, we ideally for this Kurs, we want to build him a proper structure, proper structure for him and the dogs. I mean, yes, it's easy. We'll organize him a bed so at least he can have a bed back. But, you know, to give food on an ongoing basis and uh, to sustain these dogs and look after them, you know, we're needing dog blankets. We're needing bowls. Water bowls. Mm. We're needing all the stuff for fleas, all of that stuff, mm. because, um, you know, th that, that's also something that's very important that we'd love to get going. And we have been given and donated a lot of dog food up to now. So, yes, you know, there's so much. There, you know, it's, I can sit here. There's so much that these people are needing. I would love to organize an outing for these children, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so anyone who wants to help yes. can actually phone uh, Chai FM. What's our number here, Craig? Do you remember? Um, and uh, he's giving it to me now. Phone Chai FM. We will be leaving early. Anne and Melanie's numbers with, with uh, Mandy. And they can speak to you yeah. and put you in touch with, with someone. Just hang on a sec. The office number is um, 010-140-4090. And Mandy will put you in touch with Leanne. And, and with uh, Melanie. You know, there, there is that saying as well by Maimonides, which says, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Now, you are taking care. You've, you've said that uh, you are taking care of the, the children. They are being looked after there by the school and by the church. So the children are being taken care of, and hopefully they will be educated and, and in time be able to find uh, work. What about the adults? Is there any way that people can get jobs that, you know, when you can at least give them work instead of just feeding them? You know, I think that's a hard question. I mean, I know that firstly they are predominantly Afrikaans. Right, there's another message just just come in. Can they not start a vegetable garden? Well, that's just just and just let's say that actually they are predominantly an Afrikaans uh, uh, community, and um, and they have been battling to to get work. So, a vegetable garden is the first thing that we thought of. Okay, if people had to see the ground and the structure of everything. You cannot build anything there. Not so even, it's on a, not even on a, a rubbish dump, is that on right? On a rubbish dump. It's, um, you cannot fertilize, grow. It's Red impossible. sand and stone. Mm -hmm. So that was our first thing of what we actually wanted to do. 
We'll pick up on that vegetable garden shortly. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guests today are Melanie Maloon and Leanne Jackson. And we've just been asked the question of... Uh, can we actually start a vegetable garden? And Leanne was answering us, and she was saying that actually this is on a rubbish dump. So there is no soil underneath. Is that right? Well, as I say, this is the first thing before we even went in there when we heard about this. I mean, Mel and I said, oh, this, this is what they should be doing until you can actually understand the land that they're on and how it's basically it's, it's impossible are there any trees it. there no, or anything? Not a tree. I think there's one little there's one some, tree. That's a, one there's little no plants. One. There's no. There is nothing. So if it it's, rains, uh, the the water must just it just brings cool. up all rubbish. Mm. Mm. It's it's a problem. Mm. Like I know a lot of the the people in the houses were saying if they could just have some wooden boards for their floor because we went into some of the houses and I mean, you know, I mean we're dealing with about sixty seven of the houses where. Some of them, it's one person living there, and we've got families of seven. Mm. I mean, it's it's tiny. It's tiny, and their floors, most of them, if they haven't got some type of wood to cover it, is just mud. Sand. Sand. So I suppose the only way this could be done with vegetable garden is perhaps if people donated troughs or, or something like that and uh, to plant seeds in, mm. you know, which... Uh, Filled with sand, but it, it's it would be a it big, is so a yeah. Big I mean, thing. that was our first thought, and I mean, if there is any ideas or any way people can come up with, um, it would be wonderful because that would definitely help. You would really like to know that, absolutely. You know, I, I'm, I'm looking at the time. I actually can't believe it. We we're going to when we do end, we're going to be ending with a song, "May the Light of Love" by David Roth, and it's a very beautiful song, especially for now. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that next week is actually um, Techno Stress International uh, Week and my guest is Sean Waters and we will be talking about the benefits and the the problems with uh, technology today. And um, we, but that's for next week. And Leanne's just trying to say something to me. What did you want to say? I just wanted to say before we end off, I mean, from both Mel and I, again, I mean, the community and the people have been, have blown us away with their generosity. And Mm -hmm. for whoever who's listening, whatever, whether it's a bag of potatoes you've given, rice, toilet paper, you have no idea how grateful we are and what a difference in the life you're going to make to these people. Because the, everyone has been amazing, really Isn't amazing. Fantastic. So thank you to everyone. Well, uh, you know what? It's, it's so nice to hear that people mm. have reached out like that. And, um, you know, you once sent me a, a, a poem, Lee, that said, we will not be remembered by how many unread mails we have in our inbox, but by how many lives we have touched. We will not be remembered by how many deals we close but by how many hearts we opened. We will not be remembered by our final bank balance, but the way we used our time here on earth. We will not be remembered by our Facebook posts, our clever tweets, or our gorgeous pics on Instagram. We will be remembered for what we stand for, the values we live and breathe. We will not be remembered by all the mistakes we made, but by how we overcame our biggest challenges. We will not be remembered by how much weight we lost or how much exercise we did, but by how much we accepted ourselves and those we love. We will not be remembered by how many times we arrived late, 
cancelled meetings, rescheduled appointments, or even let people down, we will be remembered for when we showed up fully. We will not be remembered for our, by our outstanding traffic fines or unpaid bills, but by the legacy we leave behind. We will not be remembered by our list of regrets, but by our list of contributions. We will certainly not be remembered by all the dreams we have, but by the ones we have the courage to pursue. We will not be remembered by those we wish to impress, but by those who love us with all our shortcomings. Whatever we do or don't do, whatever we say or don't say, whatever we feel or don't feel, we will be remembered briefly for how we live. That was from Aaron Halevi, and uh, you sent it, Leanne, and thank you so much, Mel and Leanne. Craig is saying we've got to wrap up. It did go very quickly. But I wish you every success with this venture. Thank you. And well done to both of you for pursuing it. Thank Thank you. you.